Okay, this morning we're just uh, going to continue. Uh, we got into the, the last time uh, the, the people groups where we left off with when the old earth and the people outside of the eight that were in the ark, Noah and, and the others, that, that earth was changed through judgment and then out of God baptizing that earth and we found out and we realized that it was God's love mingled with his wrath. Judgment having to do with wrath, love having to do with those that are in his son and trusting him and, and thereby being delivered. And then out of that, we see that, that Noah, he had three sons and then we realized in, in those chapters, the ninth and 10th and so forth, those particular chapters there that he had three sons, Ham, Japheth, and, and who? Shem. Okay. Just checking to see where we are. And then out of those three sons, he began to, with those that, the others that were, the males and the females that were on the ark, he began to replenish the earth. Again, and then we saw out of them came Nimrod, and we saw that he was a hunter, naturally speaking, and then he became a hunter of men. Uh, we saw that very, very clearly. This morning, we just want to get to a place uh, where, again, when we go into prophecy, how we can be so thankful, as Mike in his prayer was bringing out very beautifully, how we have so much to be thankful for. And that went into, and we have to remember, the burnt offering that Noah began to offer up. And that was him in recognizing how that between the father and the son in those types, he would deal with the sin issue because the burnt sacrifice or the burnt offering, the Jews and Leviticus, the first chapter, in those first 10 verses, they refer to it as the Holocaust offering. The completely consumed burnt offering had to do between the father and the son, dealing with the sin issue so that he could, in that type, replenish the earth, which will happen again in 2 Peter 3 in verse 13, where he will baptize the earth by fire. Never again by water, but certainly he will do this by fire. And cleansing was the water, cleansing and doing in judgment, doing away with the evil, with the flood, and then in the fire of his holiness, preparing the earth to enter into a, a time, a, a space of time, but then to enter into the eternity of the eternities, as is brought out in Revelations chapters 21 and 22. Then we can see it, and, and we're going to fill this in as we go forward. We will fill this in, but we can see all through this, this course of history, there, there, are, there would be two types of individuals. There, there could only be two types. Those two types would be the unsaved, those that didn't put, place their faith in Christ who would come, and all those types that God would recognize, and in that sense, he would pass by in that sense, not in terms of a lot of putting up with it, but he would pass by it in Micah 7 and verse 18. Then in that sense, in the types, he would bury all their sins in the sea of his forgetfulness in Micah 7 and verse 19. And that's why Job was saying, in Job 14 and verse 17, he sewed up my iniquity in a bag. He sewed it up so that when Christ would come, put on that humanity as the sin sacrifice in John 1 and verse 14, and again brought out in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, that would be all of those that would believe him. First, the sin issue had to be dealt with. We brought This was brought out to us in Genesis 22 and verse 8. Again, we're going to talk about prophecy, but it's very foundational. Everything is foundational. 
It's a wonderful thing to realize because, again, remember, we, we need to remember that the works of, that only God could perform through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, those works in Hebrews 4 and verse 3 were finished even before he created the earth where prophecy would take place, where the fall of Adam and all of mankind would take place. And again, there are two people groups, those that are fallen and unsaved in a ruined state, in a ruined condition, and those that are born again, that God recognizes them to have the righteousness of Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. There's two groups. And then we see it all through that. In Revelations 13 and verse 8, he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. See, this is foundation established long before. And God <laughs> had that foundation that was complete in the son of his love. We see that in this undisturbed, undistracted exchange of this affectionate love that truly nothing could disturb or distract or separate the Trinity. We see that in John 1 and verse 1 with that little word pros, which is with in the English, and it's P-R-O-S. And that speaks of an affectionate exchange of a love that nothing could disturb or distract. That is then when Christ went out and he tabernacled himself in humanity in John 1 and verse 14 to become that sin sacrifice. You see, he didn't become sin. He became the sin sacrifice. In his, and that's what his humanity, of course. There could never be any sin. And there never was sin, even in his humanity, in Luke 1 and verse 35, because he was not born of that sin nature. And that sin nature was not passed on to him. And we see that in Romans 5 and verse 12. We see that crystal clear, and that's why in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, at the end of that verse, it's when it says in certain translations, yet without sin, really the original is saying, yet without a sin nature. He never had a sin nature, he had a human nature. And that was impeccable. That was impeccable. But on the cross, he first and foremost dealt with God in propitiation, dealing, and that's what the burnt sacrifice points to. That's between God the Son and God the Father. The burnt sacrifice. A sweet-smelling savor that went up to him. <clears throat> and then he could become, because God provided for himself in Genesis 22 and verse 8, this sacrificial lamb, this propitiatory lamb, of Christ his son, then he could be offer him as a substitute for whosoever would in Revelations 22 and verse 17. Whosoever would, with their free will, could choose him and thereby be complete, experience the completeness and joy of the Father in Romans 5.11, joy in him, the joy that the Father has himself, which would be that that would, through his love, create that pure joy in us. You see, there's the purity of joy, and we may lose that at times, but thank God our peace, based upon Ephesians 2 and verse 14 and Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Our peace is immovable because it's Christ and he sits at the right hand of the Father. We see that in, in Revelations, the first chapter, in the 20th verse, in countless other scriptures, in Psalm 110 and verse 1, prophetic truth, where he sits and it's complete. So before anything, God knew us in his son, never apart from his will and never apart from the submission of our will. Of course, our salvation, of course, had to do first and foremost with God's will, his will where he was free to operate in who he was apart from anybody. But yet our will being submitted to him. Never, God never violates someone's will, like some would teach. God never violates the will of an individual. He never superimposes his will over and, and against the will of another in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 and in Psalm 18 and verse 33. He's not willing that any should perish. These are foundational truths that were finished 
in the eternal mind of God. And we're so thankful for that truth. <clears throat> but as we see this history, as it moves forward, we can see it all through history. And even by the time we get, and we can see where any religion, religion is not of God. You see, because religion has to do with man apart from God in a ruined condition seeking God. Christianity is a relationship that has been established first and foremost because God himself through the Son has been propitiated as, we, as, as the scriptures say in Revelation, in Genesis 22 and verse 8. He was propitiated. Then he could be offered in the two lots that are brought out in Leviticus the 16th chapter, especially in those first 17 verses. There were two lots. The first lot had to do with propitiation. That's the burnt sacrifice, the Holocaust offering that Leviticus, the first chapter, goes into. Then he could be offered as the substitute, the goat of removal for all those that in Leviticus 1 and verse 4 would put their own hand, which speaks of their will, submitting and receiving what that goat of removal had done in type, which was Christ. Then that's the second lot. The second lot is Christ becoming the substitute, thereby the only means where man would be reconciled to God because God never had to be reconciled. He always had love for man. It's just that it couldn't, until it was fulfilled, his justice and holiness, which is inseparable from his love, had to be met by Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb. And then by doing so, he could be offered as the substitute for those that would place their hand, their will, and receive him, thereby being reconciled because man needed to be reconciled. He needed to be redeemed from a, a ruined and lost condition. These are the two places, two, two aspects of humanity that are on the earth right now. Those that are lost in a fallen, ruined condition either ignorant of it or still rebellious about it and stubborn, as is brought out in 1 Samuel 15 and verse uh, 23, or just plain ignorant, just ignorant until the light comes on and then the, the revelation is made plain through the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8 through 11. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, of course. And every one of us, that has a will that can operate and make proper decisions and, and, and in some form know the difference between right and wrong because we have a conscience that speaks to us even when the word doesn't in, in Romans 2 verses 14 and 15, apart even from the signature of God's creation that speaks of his very nature in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And that creative order, that creation revealing a creator would bring them right into the, the choice of submitting to the word of God. And that goes right into the rest of that psalm, right through in Psalm 19, 1 through 14. Two people groups, two of them. <clears throat> and then all the way through, we see even a religious man. Okay, a religious man. The religious man is always in competition for God against an opposition to Christ. The one who's finished the work in John 19 and verse 30. And we have so much to be thankful for. But we can follow it all the way through. And when we get an even, we get to the height of the religious man. We, we will fill this in by, by the grace of God. And we'll know all these nations and how they work and, and what it's going to be in prophecy. Fact of the matter is, by the time we get to that, by the time we get to it, we can see that fallen man okay, still entering into a religious sense and was, in, in serious, here's the facts. Who was the first religious man upon the face of the earth? It was Cain. He offered a sacrifice to God, but it wasn't Christ and it was rejected. See, because it wasn't foundational. It wasn't that that God could build on. The only one that he could build on would be Jesus Christ, his son. So he, he was a worshiper. 
But then you see that religious system goes right into and is a part of the world system. So anything that's not of Christ, his finished work, his person, and the work that he's accomplished is of an evil religious system of fleshly works under the prince and power of the air, under Satan in John 12, 31, John 14, 30, of which we used to walk, thank God, no longer in our position. Hopefully, as we grow in our experience, we'll be the equal of that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. See these things very clearly in the Scriptures. The Scriptures, the very Word of God that God is giving us this morning, is that that speaks to us and is the fulfillment of who Christ is in his person and the work that he's accomplished to the glory of God the Father. You see, because everything that he was doing in John 8, verse 29, it was pleasing the Father, and that's why it even says in John 8, verse 19, both I and my Father are finishing this work. Makes it very, very clear. He who would fulfill the will of the Father in Psalm 40, 7 and 8, in in prophetic uh, truth, would come in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and specifically in verses 7 and 9, but to complete it all the way to the 14th verse. Very clearly brought out in the Scriptures. But by the time we see the most religious man, the most religious man in the whole Bible, who was it? It was Saul. It was Saul. And that's when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. We'll see very briefly this morning, too, where we are as a country, and we'll bring out the scriptures for that. That many men of God, I believe, under the inspiration of God, has has made clear, and I think the scriptures are very clear about that. Even we can define where we are as a country and know how close the second advent is, the second appearing of Christ on the earth, the first appearing when is and has to do with Galatians 4, verse 4. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under it. We see that. And, and so, but we're going to see these things very, very clearly in, in the Scriptures as God gives them to us, as the Holy Spirit correlates these words in a, in a perfect, beautiful counsel that only he could do, being the only theologian and the only scholar in the Word of God of course, in John 16 and verse 13 and 14. What a a theologian and scholar the Holy Spirit is. He doesn't even speak of himself, yet God himself, but speaks and glorifies of the Son to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and even he, the Holy Spirit, the true theologian and scholar. Again, that's brought out in John 16, 13 and 14. Very, very clearly. We have so much to be thankful for. So the second advent, we can see just how close we are. Now, Paul, he was the most religious man on the face of the earth. And again, remember what he he said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. He said, I am not meat. The word meat is is qualified. I'm not qualified to be called an apostle. Meaning, there was nothing in himself or from any other man born again or otherwise, that would qualify him and give him the permission to be an apostle. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. That in itself does away completely with the system of man. Don't need man's permission. That's 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21. That's crystal clear because if you do, you end up being a men pleaser in Ephesians 6. Verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, and, and in Colossians 3, 17 to 23, you see it crystal clear in the Scriptures. You end up being a man-pleaser in some form, and, 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 and God may do good things through that man, but he is not the source of the good things. It's Christ in him as his life, with his will submitted, so that the goodness that Christ is, and only he had performed in his person and completed, flows through him. That's brought out again beautifully in the Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Whose works? Christ's good works, which God had foreordained in him for you and I to walk in them, meaning we walk in his steps. That's why it says in Psalm 37 and verse 23, the steps of a godly man, a grace man, are ordered and ordained of the Lord. And that is 1 Peter 2, 21. We walk in his steps. We walk in his steps. That he's prepared for us as individuals. That has to do with his precise and perfect and complete plan for every single individual that makes up the body of Christ. And it's perfect, and that's why it's so necessary for us to submit our will. So we see Paul here. He said, I am not, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, not qualified to be called an apostle. He said, because I persecuted the church. But I am, proper image now, what I am by the grace of God. And that grace that was in me caused me to labor even more abundantly than any of the other apostles, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me in in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. As he goes forward in his life and in his call and in his growth, as he begins to grow, just like you and I in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then he grows in it. And then in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he, he realizes that apart from Christ now, I am less than the least of all the saints. Then by the time he knows, he's going to be going home to see the Lord under Nero, the emperor, who would confine him to the executioner's block. He said in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, I am the chief of sinners. That's apart from Christ. That's what we constantly have to learn so that we don't go back into a false image and function in that. And hopefully, again, near completing uh, by the grace of Almighty God and and, in the weakness and feebleness that any of us can do in serving Him, hopefully soon that booklet on image, which is so incredible uh, under His leading as He uses us. And He uses us Right? Our, our lips and our hearts can be the pen of a ready writer in Psalm 45 and verse 2. So we see Paul as he progresses and gets closer to Christ. Do you see how that works? You see how it is? The closer we get to him, we see, without condemnation though, the evil of the flesh that we were so delivered from and we can be so thankful for. We see it clearly. It becomes clearer and clearer. But yet, the hatred is there, but it's not who we are any longer. It's a proper, that is Psalm 97 and verse 10. All you that love God hate evil. You hate it. And thank God for that. So we see Paul, by this time here, by that time, we see very, very clearly, and this is brought out in these scriptures here, we can see it. Even by the time in Acts, the seventh chapter. Now, we have to remember previous, uh, in chapter seven and eight, previous to to chapter nine, and I believe he's approximately, Paul, in his religious occupation, (laughs) which is not Christ. He was approximately 35 years of age. Some believe, and based upon the scriptures and the canon and when they were completed, we can see that And by the time he finished his third missionary journey and he was a prisoner, and that's why they're called prison epistles in Ephesians and and Colossians and so forth. But we see in in Philippians, the fourth chapter and and, uh, the 10th verse uh, in in Ephesians, also we see he he says that uh, I want to be in Philippians 3 and, and verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. You see that? Not having it. It's something that God had to continue to do in him, just like he's doing us, doing us, and doing in us. 
And that's why he said it in Philippians 3 and verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, not my own religiosity, my own way of trying to approach him based upon works, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is, by, which is of God by faith. We know that's a clear picture of Christ himself. That, that I may know who? Him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, so that I can be made conformable unto his death, which did away with us, with this ruined, ruined evil image in nature. And it's done away with it. So he was approximately, at that particular time in Philippians, the third chapter, he's approximately 67 years of age. And he still needs these, just like us to be constantly reconfirmed in these issues because in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly. We only know in part, but soon, 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 and all the prophetic truth of the second advent points to his coming right now, soon, but there has to be a rapture. We will see him in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12 face to face. Pretty soon we're going to face him and we'll have his face and we'll see his face for all eternity. And what a thing that will be. What a time that will be. But we see Paul just prior to him meeting Christ on the road to Damascus in, in Acts the seventh chapter. You see the, these, these stiff-necked in Acts 7 verse 51. These, sick, these stiff-necked and uncircumcised in mind and emotions and ears that refused to hear what they actually knew, and they were resisting what they knew to be true. They were resisting God the Holy Spirit. He said, as your fathers previous, who killed and stoned the prophets, and your fathers, your fathers, who taught you the same thing, you ended up crucifying and murdering Jesus Christ. In John 19 and verse 15, because you said in 18 verse 40 of John, not this man. That's what the self-life says, not this man. That's what the flesh that's in us that we are not of in Romans 8, 9. Every time when we function in the flesh, if we're not going forward, we go back and we say, not this man. And it's not that we don't know it. We struggle because we know to do good and don't do it in James 4 and verse 17. Yet he still loves us. Positionally, he loves us, but has that love reached our experience? The work is finished. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And to be able to worship him with, with the means and the way that he's given us. And so we see they finally, they, they, they stoned Stephen. They stoned him. He was the first Christian martyr in the church age the dispensation of grace. And that's when it began in Acts, the second chapter, regardless of what others want to say. And we won't get into that this morning. But verse 59 of Acts 7, it says, And they stoned Stephen, and he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. He did saying, lay not this sin to their charge. It's something that only Christ could say in it because Christ said that. In Luke 23 and verse 34, forgive them, Father, for they know, they don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea. They know not what they do. And he was saying that with the Spirit of Christ in him as a vessel, that Christ had become one with and he one with him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. But see, whose coats in 758 were put at Saul's feet? And he even says in Acts 22 and verse 20 and 21 that I was consenting unto his death. See, religious man, a religious man is a hunter. Religious man, religious, having nothing to do with Christ. And so in, and we see in Acts 8 verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. And there was a great persecution at that time against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad throughout all regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We can see that. And so we see by the time we get to the ninth chapter, 
He's on his mission now, in his religion, in his religion. Millions, millions because of wars, and we brought this out. In John and James, the Holy Spirit brought it out to us, I should say, in James 4, 1 through 4. Where do these wars come from? Don't they come from your lusts? They do. Religious wars, multitude, millions killed more because of some kind of religion. And you know what the religion is? You can put any name to it, and I can put any name to it, man can put any name to it. It's called the religion of self under Satan, who is the wicked one, the hunter and executioner of men, hating because they were created in the image of their creator in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. That's Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Again, in John 1 and verse 29, and you see lamb all throughout Revelations. From the fifth chapter on, you'll see the lamb brought out there, sacrificial lamb, and that's love. The love of God manifested through his son is a self-sacrificial love. Our God is a self-sacrificial, loving God who's been free to love us and give us the means to be thankful through his son and to become true worshipers of him and no longer of self because the Father seeks those in John 4 and verse 23 and because God is a spirit in verse 24 of, of the fourth chapter of John and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth, Christ who is truth in John 14 and verse 6. So we see Paul in Acts 9, verse 1, is yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. <laughs> see, he's a hunter of men and women. Against who? The disciples of the Lord. They were of the Lord. He went into the high priest and desired letters to bring any. And they were called of this way. See, Christians were called, they were called this way. That's what they were referred to. They weren't called Christians yet. They were referred to as those of this way. And they were until we see, we see it in the scriptures where they at one point would be called Christians, where they would be. But he's threatening out all those that are of this way, this way, his person, Christ's person, and the work that he had accomplished that was being manifested in and through them. The enemy who is who runs his empire, Satan, under darkness, and that's why, again, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, Satan is called an angel of light, and he has his ministers in verse 15. Those ministers are those his religious ministers, and they will kill and slaughter just like he does, because in John 10, 10a, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but Christ came that we might have life and have it in such an abundance, giving us the abundance of that life with which to return, in Hebrews 13 and verse 15, the sacrifice of praise and proper worship to him has nothing to do with self that once functioned under the prince and power of the air. Again, that was brought out in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, but God, who was rich in mercy, oh boy, did he ever save us. And then he continues to deliver us as our great high priest in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And we can keep coming to the throne of grace constantly. Come to the throne of grace and to find mercy right in the nick of time because he intercedes for us continually. While we're walk, while prophecy is, is, is being fulfilled, being worked out in, on this earth right now, and Christ has already fulfilled it all, by the way, it's just working its way out until he comes back and we come back with him in Revelations, the 19th chapter, in verses 11 to 16, thereby dealing with the beast, the false prophet, ultimately Satan in its finality, just after the millennial reign in Revelations 22 and 3, we see in 6 through 9, he's loose for a while, then finally fire comes down and he's he's consigned to the lake of fire forever and ever, where every other one who has not received Christ as their Savior will not be annihilated. They will continue to live separate from him forever.
Imagine facing him at the great white throne as they will do in Revelations 20, 10 to 15, and they will come face to face with the greatest definition of love, loving them, and then having the memory of that love for all eternity, but separate from it. This would give us great incentive, any of us, to make full proof of, our, of the ministry that we have in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, and to do the work of an evangelist. But every opportunity that we have when God makes it clear to us through his grace, and that's the clarity that he speaks to us is peace, that that grace and truth is one for us that we can operate in and not, and not have to do it at the command of men who function in the flesh, but just to do it in the freedom of, of the leading of the Holy Spirit as we walk in him. And Galatians 5 and verse 16, and we can walk in our proper position and his steps, again, walk in that and, and have a perfect reality in 1 John 2 and verse 6 to experience that. And so we see it by this time, he meets Christ. He meets Christ. But prior to that, and this is what we're, we're going to bring out, and then we'll bring this, this truth out, and we're going to fill this in. But I just... God wants us to know what, where we are. And again, we all need to know it constantly and continuously. How sure the foundation is that we're on, that Christ has set us on himself in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And even the gates of hell, all the powers of hell and the prophetic earth can't touch the Christian. In 1 John 5 and verse 18, the wicked one can't touch us. He can't touch us because Christ is our foundation and all the gates of hell, all the powers of hell will never be victorious. Never. And that's based upon our reality in Christ in Romans and our personal reality and our personal walk with God. That's brought out in Romans, the eighth chapter in those 39 verses there. And it starts with absolutely no condemnation, no guilt attachment to a proper image in Christ. That's been done away with. And nothing can ever again separate us in verse 39. We have so much to be thankful for. Foundation has been laid. It's been complete. And it's the only thing in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11 that we should ever build on because that's it. Christ is it. And so we see that, though, Prior to this, Saul knew the scriptures. Prior to that, prior to his meeting Christ, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the types. He knew them. And he understood prophecy. But he only understood and he only knew the scriptures in darkness of a in the darkness of a ruined and fallen condition until he was confronted by Christ the light. That's what God does with us. He confronts us continuously with who we are in Christ. And it's the light that reveals to the believer when they function in the flesh that is in them, but yet they're not of in Romans 8 verse 9. See, that's love. It's convicting us. Love convicts. Love corrects in Proverbs 3, 10 uh, and 11. 11 and 12, I should say, in Proverbs 3 in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And those, we see those 29 verses and you look at the beautiful flow of that particular truth there. So he knew it. You see, Satan, Satan, all through this time in this world system, he's the prince and power of the air, the, the one in John 12 and verse 31 and 1430, that he, Christ has nothing in him and neither do we. Neither do we. We're just passing through in 1 Peter 2.11. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're passing through on our way to our heavenly Canaan, our heavenly Canaan, and that's Christ, where all the promises of God in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are yea and amen in him. They're finished and we agree. We agree. And so in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, Satan is an angel of light. He said in Isaiah 14, especially in 12 to 15, I'm going to be like the Most High. But yet Jesus said 
In Matthew 6 and verse 22, if your eye be single, Christ, his person, and the work that he alone accomplished, if your eye be single, then your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And then he said in 6.23 of Matthew, if the light that be in you be darkness, oh, how great is that darkness. You see, that's the religious man. The religious man always in competition as an adversary and an opponent of Christ, trying to reach God, to bring God down to him like Cain wanted to do in the world system. That's why he did not want a bloody cross, a sacrificial uh, animal that Abel, his brother, had brought. It speaks of blood. It speaks of a sacrifice. It speaks of Christ himself pouring out his whole blood, his whole soul as a sin sacrifice. Again, in propitiation to his father and then becoming the substitute for all of those that would receive him as their Savior, and thereby be reconciled to him and have eternal life in John 10, 28 and 29. And having that eternal life, no man, no angel could ever take it from us because what God does, he does forever. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 18 and in Malachi 3, 6, he does not change. But we need to be careful to not meddle in religious false works teaching, to meddle with them in Proverbs 24 or 21 that are given to change. We need to get away from that. And that's why he's constantly in his love through the preaching and teaching of the word that it is a sword, a surgeon's knife in Hebrews 4.12 where he's constantly separating us from the flesh, the evil experience about who we're not in Christ and who were not in his eyes, and bringing us back into a proper position in Christ. And even that, again, as we've been taught, is loving chastisement. So he knew it. And then Satan, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15, he has his ministers. And I know this. I don't like anyone ministering false teaching about Christ. We see that. You're going to see it. We see it. And that's why Paul, the Holy Spirit, brings it out in Acts of 20th chapter in verses 24 to 32. It's not a man. A man is not our authority. It's Christ himself. Period. It's brought out there. He said, I commend you in Acts 20, 32, to God and the word of his grace. That's the Son. I commend you to God, not to a board, not to elders, not to a pastor, not to anyone, not to an apostle, not to anyone but Christ himself. That's the preaching of the word. And so we can see this very, very clearly in these truths. See, because the word of God, prophecy is very important, it is. But most important is, that, is foundational truth. Because you can't build properly prophecy if you don't understand foundational truth as you think you're going to be a post-tribulationist. You have to go through the tribulation, which in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, there is no wrath for us because that is the wrath judgment, those 21 judgments, those 21 judgments and those sevenfold expression of them are brought out, has nothing to do with the church. Folks, Revelation 6 through 18 has nothing to do with the church at all. We aren't even there. Some will teach that you are, it's false, it's evil, it's religion, it's wrong, it's opposed to the finished work of Jesus Christ who dealt with everything and didn't leave anything undone. By the way, fulfill the law, Romans 10, verse 4, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Some that think that they're going to help Jesus do that, that they can be good by fulfilling the law and make him the Lord when all through the scriptures before any human being or even angel was created, he was Lord. Who put on humanity? Didn't need us to do anything because we, could we couldn't do anything without him in John 15, 1 through 5. So we see that very, very clearly. A murderer. Satan's a murderer. And he still tries to do it, in our experience, through, through the flesh that's in us. But we're not of, in Romans 8 9. Thank God for the word that separates us from it. 
so that we can take, the, it's called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. We take the sword of the Spirit. That speaks of absolute humility and allowing Him to take the things of Christ and to constantly, through this dependence, through the submitted will, to show us the things that are ours in Christ. And that because we, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's something that each individual has. That's the fulfillment of John 14, verse 27. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. This peace will allow you to walk right through the earth, right through everything. Because I am your peace, he said in Ephesians 2, in verse 14. So again, as we begin to wrap this up, we could see this religious man and where he even came to. It's that Cain fallen nature. See, Cain, Cain, we see that nature, Cain, his nature. It's, been, it's brought out in the world system. Man becomes religious under Satan, becomes a religious man with man's approval having nothing to do with God. See, Satan, Satan, the counterfeit liar that he is in John 8, verse 44, he wants to create his man, his one man. That's why he deceives the whole world, when the unsafe world in Revelations 12, 9. And then when you're born again, he accuses only the brethren in Revelations 12, 10, because it's based upon Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 and upon the high priestly prayer of the Lord about his prayer for oneness in John 17, 11, 21, and 22. So finally, what we do get to, and we'll just get to this briefly, here we see even America. You want to see where we are right now? Right now. Oh, my Lord, how... And Lord, when I say help us, when I say, oh, Lord, help me, I'm literally, you know what you're saying, God, humble me. Because that's he'll, his help comes through grace, and who does he give it to? James 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. But it makes it necessary in God's order. You younger, submit yourself to the elder. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Oh boy, we need to get that order straight too, don't we? All of us, in our own ways and capacity, in humility, in the pure grace of God, never comparing ourselves by ourselves. And 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, because there's no wisdom in that. But God does have a precise order. So here's America. America, we can see, and I'll show you as the Holy Spirit shows us, we can see it. Many believe this, as I do, in, in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. And remember, we're going to get into Gog and Magog. That talks about Russia. And we'll see there are literal city, cities right now. We've said before, if you take a polar magnet from Jerusalem, a polar magnet straight through, it runs right through Moscow. Gog and Magog. Gog is who he is. Magog is where he's from. So he, in, in his ruling and reigning, is the one that made the city and it's named after him. That's Gog and Magog. You see it clear in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But in the midst of that, and in the midst of it, we will get in and fill it in by the grace of God and the leading and teaching of the Holy Spirit. We can see in Ezekiel, we see right here in Ezekiel 39 and verse 21, he, he says, And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen will see my judgment that I've executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. We see it. The nations. He's talking about the nations there. And in that, America is included. It's called the judgment of the nations. You'll see that in Matthew, the 25th chapter. It all has to do with prophecy. America is also referred to as the political Babylon of Revelations 18. I firmly believe this. Having, in, in my way, and I still need to study these things and, and work them out as I do by the grace of God and continue in growing in them. But you can see, you can see political Babylon. Babylon, we know the Hebrew word has to do with confusion. It's a whole confused system. And we can see America, where it brings it out. Follow it through. Start at verse 3 and go all the way down. You can see it. Verse 3, for all the nations of 
Revelations 18, have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth, all those rulers, have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. You tell me a country that has more wealth than us over its period of time. There's not one that exists today. Soon not to, though. Soon not to. Verse 14, it says, And the and the fruits of your soul that your soul lusted after are departed from you, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from you, and you will find them no more at all. Follow it all the way through, you're going to see it. No other nation like that. So we can see that even the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah, we see, and even John, John, the beloved apostle in Revelations, we see this. We can even see the emblem of America in the scriptures. We see it in, in Isaiah, the 18th chapter. Isaiah 18, 1 and 2, it says, Woe to the land shadowing with its wings. It's spread out. This huge country with all of its wealth, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sends ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the water. All these ships with wealth to a nation peeled uh, scattered and peeled to a people terrible from their beginning and a nation meted out and trodden down whose lands the rivers have spoiled they're polluted the waterways of our nation America's emblem is what the eagle with its outspread wings its outspread wings Beyond the sea from Israel, a nation whose coexisting mother was what? England. Came out from England. But it says, again, in Jeremiah the 50th chapter, and I'll turn and read this verse. In Jeremiah 50, this is what it says there in Jeremiah 50 and verse 12. It says, your mother will be sore confounded. How is the country of England right now? What has it gone through? Your mother will be sore confounded. She that bear you will be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nations will be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. That's what it's become in America spiritually. That's what it's become. And it's confounded in the hour, it says, of her decline. Because of the wrath, in verse 13, of the Lord it will not be inhabited, but be wholly desolate. Everyone that passes by Babylon will be astonished and hiss and mock at all her plagues. Judgment. Judgment to the nations. God judged Israel. God judged Germany. God judged England, where many of the so-called scholars, the truth that Christ, out of his pure grace, through the only theologian and scholar, the Holy Spirit, gave them. We can see it crystal clear. And then by the time you get to Jeremiah, the 51st chapter, in Jeremiah 51, we see it in Jeremiah 51 here. In this text, America is bordered by what? The world's two Largest oceans. You know another country like that? That's America. And possesses its longest river. That's 51 in verse 13. O you that dwell upon many waters, abundant in treasures, your end is come. And the measure of your covetousness. Oh boy. Oh Lord. The measure of your covetousness. Her wealth literally is the plagues of all the other nations to jealousy. Jealousy. You see that in the seventh verse. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. <laughs> Don't tell me that doesn't go into certain forms of religion. That made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. They're jealous and hate America and her wealth. Just like Russia hates and detests Israel and wants her wealth, trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in the Dead Sea and the oil and the wealth that they have accumulated, even in gold and silver in that nation. 
called Israel. But here it's America. And even her exploits in space and with Hubble and, and these different rockets that go out, even we see that. In, in Jeremiah 51, in verse 53, it says, Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me will spoilers come unto her, says the Lord. Many believe it's America. I certainly do. And John pictures two Babylons in Revelations. One is a world religion, we see that, and it's very interesting. You're going to see that in Revelation, the 17th chapter. Please look at the, the word cup and the certain colors that are revealed there, which go into a religious system that is in competition with Christ, although mentioning that name. And even a certain vid, individual in a certain country right now, siding with those that are even against America, who holds a certain high religious position in a certain country in the Mediterranean Sea area. Lord, Lord, come quickly. One is a world religious system. The other is an internationally respected nation. Look at what we spend. Look what's going on in Ukraine, what we could help them with. And look at what we spend. Millions and millions and hundreds of millions more than any other nation for even our army, our military buildup. More than any other nation. And then we get into, as we begin to close here, we're going to see in Revelations, the 17th chapter, in Revelations 17, we see, oh God help us, we see this in Revelation 17, verse 3. It was a nation, Babylon, but a nation, it says in verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sat upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. I don't know, was there a seven-mountain range in Italy? And ten horns, which speaks of the old Roman Empire, ten powers. We'll get into these things precisely. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her abominations. This is a particular religious system, by the way. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. Millions killed. Millions killed by this particular religious system. And with the blood of the saints and martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration and wonder. Today, America... And boy, is, is each of us as an individual, not in condemnation, but an opportunity for God to redeem the time. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't, if I played a part in it, and in ways in the flesh I did it, I don't want to do that anymore. But America today is laden with drunkenness. Wealth, but drunkenness. Drug addiction. Listen to me. Did you know, even to teach about these things today is called nonsense because it's so watered down? It's a nation that filled with drunkenness, drug addiction, tobacco. Yeah, you heard me. I said tobacco. That's right. Because that doesn't do us any good. Look on any cigarette pack or any, any chewed stuff and see what it says on it. Tobacco, gambling, prostitution, Smut peddlers, pornography, immorality, abortions, mercy killing, euthanasia, killing old people and you're going to do them a favor. Mercy killings, murderers, robbers, looters. Have we seen anything about like that with the Black Lives Matters things and looters, looting? Wow. Because there's a specific judgment administered against Babylon, which is identified as America. 
a sneak attack. Many believe this. I do. A sneak attack is predicted in Jeremiah 50, verse 24, and in one hour, Babylon is destroyed in Revelations 18 and verse 10. Now listen, this is going on. We're not here. But this, do we see the signs of this right now in our country? Are we that sound asleep to them? God forbid that we participate with them. And he does, based upon the cross, which is, which is the revelation and manifestation of the eternal mind of God in Galatians 6 and verse 14. But a sneak attack against her. Some believe that Russia starts the sneak nuclear attack against the USA, crippling her, and then against Israel in its finality in Ezekiel 39 and verse 2. Whatever these alignments of events, it is a clear that it's clear that both these nations fall, Israel and America, but Christ returns and peace will be established on the earth. Listen, that peace that we already have in Christ, he's our peace. Thank you, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to be thankful and to redeem. God's given us the means and the motive and everything to redeem the time. In Ephesians 5 and verse 16, because the days that we are living in are an infectious evil, poneros, infectious evil against, against an infectious evil, an active opposition to God's divine good against us with Christ, that goodness that's in us as a vessel, he being the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. So Father, we thank you so much for your precious word in Jesus' name, amen.